I'm going to read a couple different passages here. So if you'd like to go ahead and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, you can keep your finger there for just a moment. Isaiah 43. And uh, then I'll read as a main text in Luke's gospel, chapter 5, here in just a moment. Isaiah 43, as we mentioned, and you've heard, uh, we are beginning our 21-day fast this morning. I am surprisingly excited about this 21 days and what is in store for not only myself and my household and this local church, but uh, I'm excited to see what God does in your life as you choose to link up and and you fast as well. I'm going to be teaching. I didn't know how I was going to approach this. I knew at the end of 2008 I wanted to teach a little bit on fasting, uh, but there's so much now that has bubbled up in my heart by way of revelation that I'm going to take all of the weeks we are in the fast to teach on it. I figure the ancillary effect will be it'll keep you encouraged, hopefully, to uh, keep on target and keep on, on track. Uh, as I mentioned before to you last week, I've not been, in fact, I'm just making my uh, confessional moment before you, my transparent moment. I probably have not been as faithful through the years to teach you this discipline I really don't have an explanation as to why it just wasn't and it was wrong and it needs to be changed and that's why I'm correcting it right now. You know, the greatest sin, uh, this isn't in my notes, you need to write this down though. The greatest sin, I think, that can happen in your life is to somehow think that your talent, your skill, your gift or your anointing will allow you to shortcut certain spiritual precepts and still receive the blessing of God. I'll spare you from a lot of lessons if you'll just take that insight from me. You can be very gifted at something. You can be skilled at it. You can be anointed at it. It doesn't have to be ministry. It can be whatever it is you do in life. And you can be deluded and deceived, literally, into thinking that because of the greatness of the gift or, or the needfulness of your skill, that somehow or another you can be exempted from certain disciplines and practices that God requires from all of his people. Remember now, God is no respecter of persons. He requires of us all the same diligence and faithfulness as he would require of anyone. Um... To be candid, I had too much spiritual success too early and too fast in my life. The worst thing, I'll never forget R.T. Kendall said this one time at a meeting, I was at a pastor's meeting. He said the worst thing that can happen to a man or a woman is to succeed too early. It's the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you. Because what happens is, is that success... uh, establishes in you an idea that somehow what you did or who you were in order in order for that to come about is all you need to do and it's and it's wrong as rain and for some of us we have needed to fail for some of us we've needed to crash for some of us we've needed to have difficult challenging moments in order to shake us out of our deceptions and our delusions in order to get back to the truth that God requires of us faithfulness and diligence and persistence and, and, and embracing of the whole counsel of God. And there are people who won't fast because they don't think they need to. And I'm telling you, if that is in your spirit, you're on a very dangerous, dangerous path. I have received some really important revelation i've been reading about it gleaning from other people who know a whole lot more than i do in this particular area and and this whole area of the fast has really breathed life inside of me and it's and it's renewed some things that i knew way early in my life you know in 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 my late teenage and early 20s there were moments that i that i did i'd pray and i'd fast but then there was way way too long of a season that was left in limbo in these in these areas. 
And so I, I'm just grateful that God is merciful and patient and, and he will again create life where there was death or misdirection. And so uh, I just want to share some things with you. You know, there's something in me. This, this three weeks that I'm facing is not duty. There's something that's a delight inside of me. I, I want it to be a delight for you. I can't make it be that way. But, but it's no longer duty for me. And I believe that in this new year, 2009, I want to see some new things manifest in my personal life. How about you? I want to see some new things begin to unfold in my household. I want to see some new things take place in the life of the church. Come on now, begin to let that come up in your spirit. I mean, do you want some new things to be poured into you this year? Wouldn't it be neat to have some, some new insight, some new power, some new anointing, some new things just to be released to you, a new sense of his presence, a new start. I think everybody somewhere, some way or another at the first of every year wants a new start in some area of their life. We need a new sense of victory, a new level of power, a new infilling from the Lord himself, going to a new level that he wants us to walk in. Some of you here this morning, you're needing a new season. You're saying, I am tired of the season I am in. I am ready for a new chapter to be written in my life. And in Isaiah 43, verse 18, it's one of my favorite verses with regards to newness. Many of you know this already. I want to read this quickly. It's really not my text, but it says this. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it, I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It's one of my favorite verses because it mentions not only forgetting the past, but it mentions God wanting to do a new thing and he immediately solicits our spiritual discernment. Do you not perceive it? There is something new in the air here at Legacy, there is something new in the air. And if you don't feel it, God's saying you need to perceive it. Something new is going on. Do you not perceive it? And he says, I'm going to make a road out of your wilderness. I'm going to give you a river in the midst of your desert. That is what a new happening of the Lord in your life feels like. It feels like you're coming out of your dry time. It feels like you're being refreshed and renewed. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, God wants those things to happen in your life. But I am seeing that fasting, as well as prayer and giving that we mentioned last week, is going to be an important part of that new happening in your life. And I want to show you something uh, that I thought really fascinating this week as I was just reading some of the scriptures related to fasting. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading with verse 33. And I've called this... A kind of tongue-in-cheek, fasting for the new wine. Fasting for the new wine. You say, well, pastor, I thought you were a teetotaler. I am. I'm not talking about that. In Luke 5.33, listen to this. I read it last week, but I want to read a little further. It says, then they said to him, his disciples, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And he said, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. And I told you last week that Jesus was saying, now that I'm here and my presence is here, we can celebrate. But when I'm gone, you're going to have to return to fasting. Then listen, he instantly, after he says this, says in verse 36 a parable. He says, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. And the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into what? New. Some of your versions will say fresh. New wineskins. And both are preserved. Verse 39. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. For he says the old is better. Now I read this passage uh, to you, part of it, last week to show you how Jesus 
was leaving us with an expectation that his disciples would fast. As I began to reread the whole account, I noticed that this new wine and new wineskin passage immediately followed his remarks on fasting and something just sort of exploded inside of me when I read that. Let's talk about this parable for just a moment. Jesus in this parable was talking about what would be necessary in order for people or for an organization or a church or a movement, whatever it may be, what would be necessary in order for that thing to be filled with a new or fresh work of God. If you want something new to be poured into your life, if you want a new sense of presence in your life, if you want those new things that I mentioned to you to be, to be poured into you, then he begins to give us a quick little parable as to what needs to happen. Now, he uses first the concept of new wine. I believe I put it on the screen overhead. The new wine is his illustration of an outpouring of God's presence. It's all the new things that you want God to do in your life. I don't care how you define that. You say, I need a new job. I need some financial help. I need to be healed. I need to be delivered. You do realize for those things to happen, you need God. I mean, he just isn't doling out the bucks. He wants his presence involved in your life. So new wine is that outpouring of the Spirit's presence. The wineskin is our ability, or as he uses even with an old wineskin, our lack of ability, to begin to receive that new thing or those new things that God wants to do in our life. It can be, a wineskin can be our personal lives. A wineskin can be uh, preconceived structures that we all create, organization that we create, church life that we create. There are things that we create that God certainly wants to work in, but the key is for God to pour something new into the thing that we want him to work in, we must present to him a wineskin that has the capacity to receive new wine. Because if you don't have the right wineskin, then it at least minimizes, or at worst, he refuses to pour out that new thing that you want to take place in your situation. So I'm just, I know I'm probably being really elementary here, but I need you to get a hold of this. God will not send something new to you if you present to him an old wineskin. God will not do something new inside of you or new inside of this church or new inside of any organization or business or family or household. He will not pour something new into that unless there is a wineskin that is presented to him that he can pour into. So Jesus is clear. We are going to have to present to him something that may be different than what we currently are in order for him to pour that newness into us. And if, and if we don't do that, if we, were to, if we were to fast and to pray and to cry out to God and he were to open up the heavens and he were to pour out a new thing, do you realize that God's presence can destroy you? That's what it says. He says, if you pour new wine into an old wineskin, it'll burst it. It'll just blow you up. And so we've got to be sure that as we're calling, because all of us want God to move. There's no doubt in my mind, you get people together. Yeah, we want God to move. But do you understand God's being merciful to us when he withholds his presence if we're not bringing to him a wineskin that can receive it? Otherwise, if he were to do it, he'd just blow us up. And God knows when the spirit has showed up, it's blowed up some things. Now, the question has always been, how do you become a new wineskin? I've actually taught on this in years past, and I don't know why I've never seen it. That's why I said it's just revelation. I've always had, you know me, I'll give you five, seven, ten points. Ten points to being a new wineskin. Well, I'm going to give you one point to being a new wineskin. How do you become a new wineskin? The answer is you must fast. You must fast. Fasting will change the wineskin and create the right one. That is why I believe fasting prefaced this parable. Fasting, listen to me, fasting sheds your old skin for a new skin. Fasting sheds the things that that you have linked to to sustain you and now brings you to a place where you're ready to be poured into with something new. Now, I just want to 
share with you, I called it spiritual analysis, but I, I just want to share with you some things as I read this that the Lord spoke to me about with regards, very simple things. This is, this is really Christianity 101, but I believe it'll bring some revelation to a lot of our lives uh, with regards to what he's saying here. Number one, and it's this, God will not pour new wine or a new thing into an old wineskin. Now, I've mentioned that. The text says that no one does that. He says this is really, no one does these, these sorts of things. No one's going to put that new wine that emits these gases as it ferments into this old skin that could burst and you'll lose what's in there. He said no one would do that. Now, if no one on earth would do that, why on earth would God? Why would you blow something up that you couldn't hold what you wanted to pour into it? Now, you've got to understand, in the day that Jesus was saying this, the context of it all was that, that he was having to deal with an old, brittle religious system called Judaism. Now, we can love our Jewish friends and we can pull for Israel and I'm not here to teach on covenantal promise and all those sorts of things. But you've got to understand that when Jesus came, he came in order to pour a new thing into the Jewish people, but unfortunately they were entrenched in their traditions and their rituals and all the things that they had construed for literally a, a thousand plus years. And, and their construct, their wineskin, could not hold this new thing that Jesus really wanted to release to them. In fact, it's interesting that as you begin to watch the New Testament unfold, God did not send His Spirit to the temple. God sent His Spirit to an upper room. Are you with me? God didn't send His Spirit to the synagogue. He sent His Spirit to Solomon's portico. He sent his spirit to people's homes. Why did God do this? In fact, that's what was blowing the Jews' minds. They were saying, here's the temple, here's the synagogue, here's all the stuff that we have done for God. Why wouldn't God want to come to all of this that we have done for him? And the Lord says, I appreciate it, but it's not a wineskin that I can move in or I'll blow you up. I'll just blow you up. Now, I want to be as kind as possible in fact, that's one of my prayers through the fast. That I'd just be as kind as possible. God wants to move in our city. God wants to move in people's lives. But the issue is what kind of wineskin are we presenting to him to fill? You see, just because we live in a city that has a skyline with hundreds of steeples doesn't mean God is obligated to release a new thing. Just because a person has a label, well, I'm a Baptist, or I'm an Episcopal, or I'm a Methodist, or I'm a Nazarene, or I'm whatever it is you are. God is not obligated somehow to release a new thing in you. I'll never forget uh, hearing the story of, of when the Brownsville revival was taking place, and in my old denomination, uh, there was a Nazarene pastor in town who, when he heard of the revival and people in his congregation were talking about the revival, he looked and he said, that, that couldn't be. God, God wouldn't send that to us. He knows we're Nazarene. Do you think God cares what the label on your can says? In fact, I'll just tell you this. There are charismatics to this day that won't receive a fresh outpouring because their wineskin has become old and it has become brittle. And they think if it isn't going to happen like it did in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, or the 90s, then somehow or another, I don't know if it's going to happen. Well, let me tell you something. God is calling all of us to present our bodies, our wineskins, a living sacrifice and get the new wineskin in place for that new thing to be poured in. You say, well, how do you do it? We got to fast. The Lord is looking for a people in our city to fast their way into being a new wineskin that he can pour into. Something fresh needs to happen in our city. Something fresh needs to happen in this region. Something fresh needs to take place for God to begin to blow again through our streets. He's not going to pour new wine into an old wineskin. He is saying, I want you to fast and let me create a people. That will be the wineskin that can receive that. Number two. This just spoke to me. Number two. Fasting dries up the taste of the old wine. 
say, well, what do you mean? Well, the Lord showed me that fasting is comparable to a spiritual detox program. You, if you're entering into a fast, can I just share this? You are, you are really entering into what the celebrities go to. You know, when they're drug addicted and they're alcohol addicted and they're addicted to everything under the sun and they go off to some rehab center and they've got to do a detox. Now, fasting, I believe, is spiritual detox. You've got to detox yourself off of certain things that all of us have picked up. And can I just share this with you? We've got to detox off religion. We've got to detox off religion. How do you detox yourself off a dead tradition? How do you detox yourself off religion? How do you detox yourself off that error you were taught years ago that plagues you to this very day? How do you detox off that misguided albeit well-meaning, denominational thing that you got going on. Do you understand that there are people, and you put the, you put the uh, uh, phrase in there, and I'm going to pick on a Baptist here for just a minute, but I could put anybody's name in here. You've heard it, Baptist born, Baptist bred, Baptist raised, and Baptist dead. You've heard that, right? Let me tell you, if that's how you want to go through life, you'll be dead. But I want to go through life with something fresh. And we've got to be detoxed off of some of that religion that some of us grew up in. How do you detox off that? How do you detox and get your, get your mind unplugged from all the stuff that is useless and worthless? You've got to fast. You fast. You get before God. You pray. You begin to say, talk to me again, oh God. Everything. I'll never forget when I was first filled with the Spirit. I'll never forget opening up my Bible and going before the Lord. My wife will tell you this to be true. In 1986, somewhere in that particular area, I went before the Lord, opened up my Bible, and I said, everything is on the altar. It doesn't matter what they taught me at college. It doesn't matter what they taught me at seminary. It doesn't matter what I thought before. It is all gone. We're going to start from 101, Lord. Build this thing in me right now. There are too many people when they don't know what to do, they fall back on their dead religion. And God says, fast, detox that out of you. Our city, listen to me, I love, listen, I love, I'm called to this place. But our city thinks it's spiritual. You know why certain people think they're spiritual? It's because they drink the old and they say the old is good enough. That's what they do. They drink the old all the time. I've been drinking this for years. I've been drinking the same liturgy for years. I've been drinking the same service for years. I've been drinking the same songs for years. I've been drinking it in. I've been drinking the same address. That's right. For years. I've been, I've been, and it's good enough. And can I just share this with you? God love them. They're saved and we can affirm, but there ain't nothing new coming that direction. See, I'm looking at folk this morning that have said to me, I want something new to go on in my life. That is why historically, historically, people miss revivals and they miss awakenings. And that's why this city has missed it through the years. Because a revival could start and they'll just go, ah, the old's good enough. Ah, it's, it's okay, I'm okay with it. I mean, that new stuff, I don't know if I like the taste of that. I don't know if I like the taste of that, that sound. I don't know if I like the taste of that structure. I don't know if I like the, the, the taste of that ministry. I just don't know. The old is good enough. I mean, I'm not saying anything wrong. You just, you drink what you drink. I'll drink what I drink. And the taste is, I'm just, I'm used to the old. You will not get something new with that type of mentality. Now, I'm talking revelation. And I am up religion's tree and I am in your grill and shaking it. The word that God has sent to us, the prophetic word, which I take seriously, is that God will call this city a city of revival. That's a prophetic word that has been spoken more times than I can count. This city of Charleston, South Carolina will be called a city of revival and a city of renewal and a city of restoration. I believe God's word to be true and he wants to do that, but he isn't going to pour it in an old wineskin. It isn't going to happen. Fasting. Fasting will change your spiritual taste buds. 
It'll, it'll change the way you, you, you look at things and hear things. It, it, it will cause you to desire a fresh thing from the Lord. Do you understand that if you're always drinking the old and it's just fine with me, if you fast for a while, pretty soon anything tastes good. Isn't that true? I'm, I'm already, I mean, this is terrible to say, but I mean, you, you just start thinking about a fast and you'll look at Brussels sprouts. And you'll go, man, even they look pretty good, man. Your worst vegetable look tasty in about a week. Because you see, the fast has caused you to be open to tasting something new. And if you hunger and thirst, the Bible says, you shall be filled. If you don't hunger and thirst, we won't be filled. If you, if you, if you don't desire something new, you won't be filled. So let me just share with you some promises that are related to this. The day of Pentecost is probably our personal prototype for what God could do in our midst. Do you understand Pentecost? It, it, was, it was unique in some ways, but in other ways, I believe it to be a, a, a template of what God could do to those who are willing to pay the price. And Pentecost was the direct fulfillment of the new wine which was poured into these new believers. So Pentecost is our first example of new wine coming into a new wineskin. It didn't come to the temple, as I mentioned, but he came to an upper room. Now, we know several things. We know they prayed for several weeks. We know that to be true. I can also assume that they fasted as well. Now, the Bible doesn't, doesn't exactly say that they fasted, but it's a pretty good assumption. And the reason I know it to be a pretty good assumption is because when those disciples came out of the upper room after the pouring forth of the Holy Spirit, when they came out of the upper room in the power of the Spirit, it's this new thing that's going on, they're speaking in tongues, they're praising God, everybody's looking at this thing, they're calling them drunk and it's only 9 a.m. in the morning and they're looking at all these new things that are beginning to take place. Uh, Peter steps up to the plate, he steps out in the middle of the street and he begins for them in the street to interpret this event. He says, I'm going to share with you what's going on here and I'm going to begin to interpret this event for you and he begins to teach or to preach from the book of Joel. Now in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, these are the literal verses that Peter uses in order to communicate to all the people who had gathered on the street. Listen to what he says. He says, and it shall come to pass afterward. I want everyone to say afterward. I want you to underline that in your Bible. I want you to note that word afterward for just a moment. And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Also on my men servants, on my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. It says here in verse 30, he'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we see out of that street preaching 3,000 people coming into the kingdom instantly, right? Instantly. Now, the phrase that I mentioned to you was the phrase, what? Afterward. Afterward. And it shall come to pass afterward. Well, after what? What does afterward mean? We'll go up in the chapter just a little bit to Joel 2, verse 12. This is how this chapter starts. Listen to what the prophet Joel says. He says, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with what? Fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering, for the Lord your God. Verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a... Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Verse 17. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. Joel says, call everyone to attention. 
he says, sound the trumpet, make a noise, consecrate yourselves to a fast. And he says here in these verses that if you will do this, and then it goes into a promise, I'm going to talk to you about that, that promise here in just a moment. But he says, if you will do this, these certain things will begin to take place. And so on the day of Pentecost, Peter steps out. He uses those passages I read to you earlier out of the book of Joel, which says, and after, it says that these things will happen afterward. And I believe this with all of my heart, that they were practicing in that upper room, praying and fasting. They were crying out for their city, Jerusalem, the holy city. They were, they were, they were getting serious saying, Oh God, what are we going to do now? How is this going to happen? We need you in our midst. A new thing has to happen here. You've got to pour something into us. And they prayed and they fasted and God moved and Jerusalem was never the same. And here's my point. If God has done it before, he will do it again. Now look what happens. I'm just going to walk through this real quick, real super fast. Look what happens when God sees his people fast. It says here in verse 18, I'm going to go through this super fast. The Lord will get passionate again about your promise. Verse 18, it says here, then the Lord will be zealous for his land. You know what that says to me? It says to me that there may be a point that God doesn't get passionate anymore about your promises. Now, wouldn't that be a sad place to have pushed the Lord? That he looks at your life. Now, hear me now. God has promised for everyone in this room, every single person in this room, you've got an incredible promise from God. You've got an incredible future that God has for you. It is exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. It is good. It is phenomenal. It would be a blessing. You can't even imagine. I could go on and on and on and on and on. But I'm telling you that, that God can get to the place where he looks at us and says, well, if you're not that passionate about it, I guess I don't have to be all that passionate about it. But you get before the Lord and you fast. All of a sudden, God sees your sacrifice. He sees your seriousness and, and, and he gets passionate about the promise that he has for you in his life. When he sees people fasting, he gets zealous for their promise. I want God, most of all, to be excited about what's going on in my life. I want God to be excited about what's going on in our church. I want God to be excited about what, what could happen in your life too. But you've got to get to the place where you solicit his passion again. How do you do that? You fast. That's the promise of the fast. That he'll get excited about your life again. Number two. It says in verse 19 that the Lord will send resource to exalt you. It says that he'll send grain, new wine, and oil. You know, I'm just making kind of little modern day analogies. You know, grain really was the transactional monetary system. God will send you finance and resource. The new wine represents his presence and favor. Oil represents anointing. If you'll enter into a fast, God says it will open up the resources you have needed to do the will of God. Years ago, I remember being in college years ago, and we were immature, silly college students, but we just got it in our spirit and a little bit in our craw that God needed to move on our campus. And, and, and so we would fast and we would pray. But can I, I just thought back to those times. God did a lot of supernatural things. And favored us in a lot of supernatural ways. And he took that little prayer meeting that took place in Smith Building, room 123, that met on Friday nights at 1030. And God, God began to lift up those just silly freshmen and sophomores and juniors that were praying for their campus and fasting. He lifted them up. I, I think back now to all the unbelievable things that God allowed me to do in about a five-year time span. Trace, isn't that true? What God let me do as a 19-year-old. He put me in places I had no business being at. Why would he do that? Because we were just silly enough to believe if you fasted and you prayed, God would move. Number three, in verse 20, it says that God will remove the enemies from your life. It says here that he's going to remove far from you the northern army, drive them away into a barren and desolate land. I don't know about you, I've got a few enemies that I need driven away. If you don't have any enemies, I have a few that I can give you that you can carry. Enemies, he drives enemies away. Have you ever been on a picnic and uh, you found a nice place to throw a blanket out? Maybe a nice table to sit down at to have a picnic outside and it's perfect. But, but as soon as you bring the food out, 
As soon as you bring the food out in order to serve it, it's amazing to me. They're, they're, it's a perfect day. It's a beautiful day. And you put out just a little food, and it seems like flies from three counties come to join you at that picnic. It's amazing to me how you put out a little food and the flies come. But the minute you put the food away, the flies leave. Satan is called Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. And when you put the food away, God drives the flies out of the area. Are you hearing me? Put the food away and you'll see flies driven out of the area. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20 that Jehoshaphat was surrounded by enemies that outnumbered the children of Israel three to one. He saw the enemies three to one around him. They were like flies that had come in in order to conquer him. What did he do? The Bible says that he called a fast. And they fasted and they prayed and they listened to the prophetic word. And out of that, a a strategy was developed to send the choir, so to speak, out with uh, sounds of music and, and making sounds and noises. And the Bible says that when the enemy heard the sounds of praise coming from the camp of Israel, despite being a larger army, the Bible says that God set ambushes for them. And they turned on one another. And the armies of Israel did not have to lift one finger for battle as their God moved into the enemy's camp and he destroyed all the enemy. If you will fast and you will pray, I prophesy to you that you won't have to lift one finger for your battle. God will drive the flies out of your situation. But we've not gotten serious in this area. We've tried to figure it out on our own, do it on our own, get our hands in it. I'm telling you, God is smiting me with this understanding. Will you give up and let me, Kevin? Will you see what I can do if you'll just put it in my hand and trust me? I got a little excited there, didn't I? Number four, verse 23, the Bible says, if we'll fast that the Lord will send a deluge of his spirit. He talks about sending the former rain, but then he says that I'm going to send the former and the latter rain together. You know, there have been times through the years where God has moved and you have heard me or others tell you stories about these incredible events when God has moved in people's lives. And we say to ourselves, wouldn't it be cool if God were to do that again? And and I think it'd be cool too. That's the former rain. But there's a latter rain that's coming. And the latter rain of his spirit will eclipse what he did in the former. But here's the promise. The promise is this, that he wants to take the latter rain and combine it with the former rain and put it together and absolutely deluge his people with his presence. This means that that, that those old stories that we hear being told of days gone by and then the new things that God has never done before that he wants to do will be linked up together in order to be manifested again in the house of the Lord and in his people's lives. And God says he will do this if you will fast. Number five, the Lord will restore the years that were wasted or lost. Verse 25, it says that I'll restore to you the years that all these locusts, these different forms of locusts have eaten up. Some of you today, this is the best word you'll get this morning, and it's this. Some of you have years under your belt. You have years of living lives that were wasted. You can think right now of seasons in your life, years in your life, that you would look back to and say, man, I made such poor decisions in that time period. I wish I could go back and do it again. I lost some things in that time period that I'll never be able to recover, at least naturally, you would say. Perhaps it was through your rebellion. Perhaps it was by ignorance. Perhaps you just didn't know and you were making bad decisions. But the Bible says that fasting will touch God's heart to restore the years that were wasted. He will cause your remaining years to be even more productive and even more fruitful. I believe, listen to me, I'm 49 years old. This is my 50th year. And there have been moments in my life that I've looked back and I've said, man, I I didn't imagine I'd be where I was. I mean, how many of you have ever said that? You've looked at your life and said, I really didn't think I'd be where I am right now. I thought I'd be somewhere else than where I am at this moment. I think that goes through a lot of people. And you go and you say, wow, is there, I guess, you know, that's just how it shakes. I guess that's just how it works. But the Lord just ignited in me that, that, that your best years are still ahead of you. 
Your best years aren't behind you. They're still in front of you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're in your 70s, your 80s. It doesn't matter. If, if we could see and you only had one year left to live, if, if somehow we could see that and know that, I declare this to you, that one year will be better than the 80 years prior to that. God will restore the years. So how does he do that? I don't know exactly how he can do all of that, but I know this much. He says, if you'll fast, you can begin to recover things that were lost. Take your Big Mac. I don't need the Snickers bar. (laughs) Come on now. I'll drink a little broth. I'll drink some vegetable broth. Ain't no problem with that. No problem at all. Number six. The Lord will touch, it says here, the next generation. He says he'll pour his spirit out on your sons and your daughters. I mean, we can be concerned about our kids and the next generation. Listen to me. We can provide opportunities, and here's where I think ministry misses it at times. We can, we, can, we can look at the church, and we can think that the church ought to be doing this, that, and the other, and it probably should. And sometimes we'll look at government and say, government, you ought to be doing this, that, and the other, and maybe it should. And we can provide programs ad infinitum in order to help our young people. I've come to the conclusion, just getting this revelation, that our young people don't need more technology. They don't need more lights. They don't need more gimmicks. They don't need another Nintendo. They don't need another Wii. They don't need big screen TVs and HD TVs. They need a generation that will fast for them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We think we give them everything and that will somehow keep them. You fast for them, fast for the kids department, fast for the youth department, fast for college kids that are coming back, fast for the College of Charleston. I believe it's maybe the College of Charleston's moment. That's where God can find a wineskin that is ready to receive when you fast. And finally, number seven, he says this, he says, if you'll fast, I will gather the harvest of souls. He says, I'll show you wonders. I'll give you signs. And just as it happened with Peter on the day of Pentecost, it can happen again. I'm not talking about just 3,000 decisions. I'm talking about 3,000 conversions. I don't, it, don't, it doesn't impress me anymore just because someone comes down and makes a decision. I want to see some conversion. I want to see people that are going to put it on the line. I mean, we're talking there were 3,000 Jewish people that day that walked out of their dead religious system. 3,000 people that walked out of their heritage and walked out of their families and they walked out of all that was there culturally and religiously. They stepped out of it. They knew that they weren't going to go home uh, to have dinner with mama anymore. They knew that their inheritance that they were going to have from daddy would no longer be there anymore. They understood they were getting cut out of the will. They were getting cut off completely. But something had happened that they stepped out of that mess And they stepped into newness of life. Something new got poured into them. And it is time for Charleston, South Carolina to have the guts to step out of their religion. And step out of some denominations. And step and quit negotiating with the enemy and get out of that thing so God can get something new inside of you. Some of you, I'm telling you. You got to get to the place where you aren't going to let mama or papa or daddy or wife. You got to get to the place where you say, I'm stepping into what God has. I'll honor you. I'll respect you. I will not dish you, but I'm going with God. That's in me. If you didn't notice. That's why Jesus said, he said, I've come. I haven't come to bring a peace. I've come to drop a sword. I'm glad right now my folks went down the road and Tracy shared how this was probably our greatest visit we've ever had. We've been very transparent. But I can tell you there have been struggles through the years. But I can tell you one of the greatest visits we ever had was this time. And can I just share this with you? And it wasn't because I kept clinging to my old religion. It wasn't because I kept clinging to old things. It was because there was a moment I stepped out and said, I'm going with God. I love you guys. I want the best for you. But if that's where you choose to stay in that death and that emptiness, God bless you. But I'm not. I'm not. 
And you know what happens when people make those cho- You know what happened when those 3,000 made that choices? Two days later, 5,000 families came into the kingdom. Because you know what? Ultimately, people may act like they want to drag you back into their death, but you're the only one that can begin to pull them into your life. Somebody's got to get a hold of this. You've got to start pulling people into your life. God will do it. There is a harvest that is so ready to come, but he's waiting for a wineskin that he can pour his spirit into. And it will happen when we pray and when we fast and when we give. When God sees that sacrifice, he'll move in ways that we have only imagined. And so listen to me, folks. When you go out in these next 21 days, when you go out perhaps with people at the office, And you quietly, without making a big fanfare, without acting self-righteous or anything else, but quietly, you have your small salad and you get your potato, that dry potato. (laughs) And you're drinking your water. And they're all getting their T-bones. Listen to me. God's noticing. God's noticing. When you forgo that Snickers and you let go of that Coke, God will suddenly say, I believe, I see a passionate, serious person here. Are you willing to hear a few tummy rumbles in order that you might hear the God of glory thunder? I wrote this down. I put it in parentheses. I I, I say this with the greatest sense because believe me, I, I know what it means to be, well, maybe not completely, but to the extent I know at this moment, I, I've experienced the brokenness of the Lord and I've experienced the dealings of the Lord. And so I understand the last thing I want to do is to somehow come across in any way, shape or form with even the slightest tinge of arrogance. I, 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 Believe me, I understand God will kill that thing and he'll find that thing quicker than you can imagine. So I say this with a great sense of humility that God, listen to me, God is calling us to lead the way and to lead this city back to genuine spirituality. We're not leading it to religion. We got to lead it. We got to lead it to the spirit. We got to lead it to the wells. We've got to, we've got to lead it to the place where they'll never thirst again. So the question is, do you want to be a part? And if you want to be a part, then, then I need you. And more than that, God's looking for you. So he can pour something new inside of you. Would you stand with me, please? Do we have enough musicians here? Can we can can you guys start moving this way again? Holy Spirit, we're going to sing that I'm coming your way again. Did you get that? Coming your way. Holy Spirit, you are honored in this place. Lord, I I recognize the fact that I'm limited in as much as I can only share and declare. And ultimately, you're, you're the one that has to get inside and produce. But Lord, I believe within this house and within this people and congregation, there are enough here that would represent, Lord, a, a vast majority who would say, create in us, O God, Create in us a wineskin. A new wineskin, Lord, that you could pour freshness into, that you could pour newness into. Lord, start start in us. We can't, we can't look at a city and point our fingers at a city, Lord, unless you've done the work in us. Judgment starts at the house of God. So, Lord, it's got to start with us. We, we, we can't lead anyone anywhere until, Lord, we've done what we've needed to do to get there ourselves. 
And then we can say, follow, follow me as I follow Christ. And so, Lord, I ask right now that you would, you would strengthen your people right now. That, Lord, you would put inside of them the tenacity and resiliency that you would give them the fortitude, Lord, to right now, this day, as we begin 21 days together of a fast as unto you. Lord, I'm going to teach on it. It's, it's not meant to raise a banner and wave it. But, Lord, we've got to teach the people, and it's the only way I know to do it. But, Lord, help us. Help us as we do this thing and, and we do it quietly and sometimes secretly and stealthily in, in, our, in our job situations and in our ordinary lives. Lord, as we do these things in this manner, your word says clearly that our Father who sees what we do in secret will reward openly. And Lord, we don't do it just for the reward, but we do it because we are thirsty and we are hungry and we long for something new. We need a new day. A new thing, a new presence, a new power, a new anointing. Lord, we need something that apparently we haven't had already in order to break through the difficulties that we've been facing. Can you see that? If there's something that you've not been able to break through with yet, it must mean that there's something new that needs to come to your life. Because God wants you to break through. God desires that you press through. So, so while God's not, God's not limited and God can do anything, He's waiting for us to recognize that maybe, maybe the old ways and some of the old paths, we, vent, we, 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 we value them, we, we, we honor that, we don't despise it. It probably laid some great foundation in us, but it is time to arise and get to the upper room. It is time to arise and begin to fast. It is time, it is time for the priest to stand between the porch and the altar and to weep and to cry out and to say, oh God, don't leave us. Oh God, you can still begin to do a great and mighty thing in our midst. It is time to call the solemn assembly. It is time to consecrate the fast. It is time to break the fear. It is time to rejoice and to cry out and say, our God reigns. It is time to push away the plates and the food. It's, it's, it's time to cut out the, 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 the sugar and the, the stuff, Lord, that, that, that just zaps us, Lord. It is time that we got our zap from the Holy Ghost. It's time, Lord, to see you move. I believe it is our year. It is our season. It is our moment. And Lord, I pray right now that you would cause us to yearn to be that kind of wineskin. Create in me, Lord, a wineskin. Forgive. Forgive me, Lord, for the years, Lord, that the wineskin was just tight and tough and brittle. And Lord, let it, let it just be shed now in Jesus' name. Let a new wineskin come. about it are you doing that i'm coming your way 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 I'm coming. I'm coming your way. I'm coming your way.
let's do right now. Let's begin. You know, I like what Pastor Noah did, and I'm gonna I'm gonna steal I'm gonna steal a God idea he had. He put he put in that youth room for the young people a wailing wall. And I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but but we can catch the spirit of it now, right here, where we begin to cry out, where we begin to cry out for all the things that we want to see God do. I want to hear, I want to hear the sound of God's people praying right now. Come on. This whole place is going to be the, the wailing wall. We need to cry out right now. Begin to cry out for what you need to see God do in your life. If you need God to save you this morning, then cry out for salvation. If you need God to, to deliver you, then cry out for deliverance. If you need God to move in your household, then cry out for your household you need someone in your family to be touched and cry out cry out to God cry out to God come on let's raise our voices right now raise your voices come on just say Lord I need you to move we need you Lord to come we need you Lord to break through break through oh God break through oh God Break through our hearts. Break through our lives. Break through our homes. Break through this city. Break through this this state and this nation. I'm coming your way. I'm coming your way. Here we go. I'm coming. I'm coming your way. 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 physical healing right now come on just lift your hands to the Lord if you need physical healing right now I need touched in my arm Lord in Jesus name let healing power begin to be released on the front end of the fast Lord show your mercy and your your grace and your kindness begin to heal heal your people right now in Jesus name Heal your people right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I believe you right now. You're bringing healing to this this arm in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Right now, in Jesus' name. Healing. Healing right now in this back area. Right now, in Jesus' name. Power. Power to correct. In Jesus' name. Pains and arthritis is broken in the name of Jesus. See, I'm just telling you right now. See, it's gone right now. See, it's gone right now. Hallelujah. 
Come on, if there's something, come on, move it. If there's something you can't do, just just challenge the enemy in that right now. Come on, challenge. You got to get an appetite for this. Come on, every time, think about that. Every time your stomach rumbles, you feed it. Come on now, you got to get an appetite for your healing. You got to get an appetite for your deliverance. You got to get an appetite for your freedom. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Before I stop here, there's there, there may be a prophetic word or spirit that's just hovering, and I want to give it a moment. We won't stay much longer, but I don't want to cut off the voice of the Lord. We bless you, Lord. Well, Lord, we realize we're just on the starting line of these next three weeks. We take seriously what you place before us. Lord, I know most everyone will start well today. Help us, Lord, a week from now and two weeks from now. And help us when we come close to the finish line that that which we purpose to do in our hearts today, Lord, we'll see through these next 21 days. Lord, you've done some amazing things. Even without a people fasting, you've done some amazing things. But Lord, we're believing you for even greater works. Because we're taking seriously what you're calling us to. Lord, I ask that you would breathe life into your people now. As we practice spiritual discipline, Lord, I I just break a sense of duty. Breathe life into this. Let joy come up inside of them. Let them not think about what they're losing by way of food. Let them think about what they're gaining from you. And Lord, seal it in our hearts this morning. There's a sweet spirit here. And Lord, I hate to leave it, but it's time to let the folk go. But Lord, I believe we can come back. We can come back tomorrow night when we pray. And Tuesday night when we pray. And Wednesday night when we do School of Leaders. It's, it's going to be a rigorous, rigorous month. But Lord, we believe that out of the spiritual discipline, out of the pressing in, that Lord, you're going to break through. Come on. So Lord, just cause schedules to work cause things to be ordered appropriately priorities that need to be shifted let it happen and lord we're just we're just going to be amazed we're going to stand and be amazed and we just release your people with a great big blessing in jesus wonderful mighty name i pray amen amen let's give the lord a big hand before we go this morning hallelujah Now turn around, you encourage one another. Now you can encourage each other in their next three weeks without, without probably demonstrating self-righteousness. But just encourage one another and uh, be, a, be a blessing. And I hope I see many of you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock here. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, we're going to pray. God bless you.